This podcast is an empowerment platform for the opportunity seekers, the problem solvers, the game changers, the future shapers, the world builders, the entrepreneurs. This podcast will look to explore the very nature of entrepreneurship in Africa and profile entrepreneurs who are breaking new ground in their respective industries. Okay. Um, cool. I think we're ready now. Okay. Cool. Um, so I always just start things off by asking someone to introduce themselves. <laughs> cool. Uh, my name is Matt Brownell. I head up uh, brand marketing for Yoko. Cool. Um, how did you get into brand marketing? Very circuitous routes. Like, um, I did study marketing at university, so it was one of the sort of majors that I, that I, was, that I was studying. Yeah. But I, I can't say it, like, it immediately appealed to me. It immediately was something that was like, wow, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, so my career started off in management consulting, doing like fairly hardcore functional work and supply chain and logistics and things. And then over the course of time, uh, the thing that really changed was I got a job at FIFA running up to the 2010 World Cup. Okay. I'm a big soccer fan and this opportunity came from nowhere to look after one of the World Cup projects and it was within the marketing department at FIFA. And I went from doing sort of supply chain and logistic works, really just using using numbers and analytics to having to think creatively for the first time yeah. in my job at FIFA and I loved it and I realized that um, I uh, am at my best and I'm getting my most energy from working with interesting creative people. And although I'm not a creative myself, um, the combination of magic and science is something that, like, from day one, like, just appealed to me. What do you mean you're not a creative person? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not really. Like, I, I think I, I have a pretty good left and right brain, but if you put me in a room of creatives, I will never come up with good ideas. I, I, I like, <laughs> my ideas are, are average. Like, and, you know, like, ideas are usually, it's usually, like, the 50th idea of a day that is the best idea and never the first but I'm the kind of person that like I'll put down the first idea thinking that it kicks ass and realize by the end of the day that it was just rubbish you know so it's like it's I'm I'm not the kind of person that would back myself in a creative agency ever but what I am pretty good at I guess is combining strategy with creative and then learning how to get the best out of creative people. I think that I'm decent at that. But yeah, I'm more on the science than the magic side, actually. Yeah. But I appreciate the magic beyond belief. That's the stuff that matters. So um, you recently like, published an article around this sort of thing, which is just merging data with creative, mm. but more emphasizing on creative. Yeah. Um, just talk a bit about that. Like, what, what was that article really um, trying to achieve? And, yeah. 
I, you know, so in the last couple of years, particularly working in this role, so in my previous life, I worked with at, in South African breweries for six years. So I headed up um, strategy for Castle Lager, the brand Castle Lager. Yep. And I was really working in a typical agency, uh, sorry, a corporate environment where we're working with the best creative agencies, got gigantic budgets. No one ever used to turn around and ask about the effectiveness of the work we did. So it would always be about like, oh, we created these goosebumps or this was an amazing campaign and like we sold all this beer. But it was incredibly hard to relate the work we were doing back to like genuine, we moved the needle with this piece of creative work. But then when I came to Yoko, where, where like the environment is tech and data driven, I was under a huge amount of pressure from day one in a brand marketing role to justify the effectiveness of the work that we were doing. And there were so many metrics available because all of the work we were doing was digital, whereas previously it was all TV advertising and you know the metrics there are hard to attribute. So I could suddenly attribute pieces of creative and work to data. And I started really getting obsessed with the data side of things. And I spent the first year of my time in brand at Yoko really like spending more time trying to work out the data side and experimenting then on the creative and sometimes. And my conclusion at the end of quite a lengthy period of time, close to two years, was data is useful to guide, to guide conversations, to guide the kind of work you're doing, to give you a sense of where to like go deep and drop your money and resources, but it's not the answer. It, it does not, uh, you know, the, the term that I use is it's not a profit. It doesn't give you like some kind of foresight into the future about what good marketing looks like. It sim simply gives you a sense of what what creative is working a little harder than other. But in the end, you know, it's amazing at the moment, like you, you, you work on, you look around on LinkedIn and people call themselves data-driven marketers or yeah. data evangelist or someone even said recently. Like, I think I've heard data evangelist Yeah, before. it happens. <laughs> and, and, uh, and people put down like purely or purely a data-driven marketer. Like, and actually like, I kind of call BS on that a little bit. It's like, there is, an, there is an important, a vitally important role that data plays in the world of digital. But in an environment now where, you know, the average person is hit by 3,000 marketing messages a day. 3,000. It's a bombardment. Like every time you're on your phone, everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, the only stuff that breaks through is like the most creative, interesting, disruptive breakthrough work. Otherwise, it's got to appeal to you in a very personal capacity, or it's got to be disruptive and breakthrough. So I have yet to see um, any bad campaigns from a creative standpoint really do an effective marketing job. So like the best campaigns out there in the world and the best pieces of comms and creative are also the most effective because they break through the clutter. And there's, I think people are putting too much emphasis on the data side and not enough on the, on, the, on the role of creative and how that like, translates is are you really spending enough time ideating and letting the best ideas bubble to the top and mm. understanding that the first idea is never the best idea and really like giving time and space to the right minds to think about a problem and try and solve it in a creative solution or are you immediately moving into like data mode and, like, and actually therefore like uh, annihilating good ideas and this is the this is the thing that I think a, a modern brand marketer in a digital world has nowadays is do you have the skill sets to manage creatives effectively but also bring data to the party to help guide the conversation yeah, yeah. so 
back to your journey. So you, you're working on this project um, with FIFA, and what were you um, really tasked to do? Mm. So one of the World Cup projects was the, the FIFA fan parks. There were, there were 10 free fan parks across the country. And my role was actually managing those 10 fan parks from a FIFA standpoint. I actually went, went to one of those. Did you? I think the one in Mary Fitzgerald Square? No, that actually wasn't an official one. We what? Were, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Um, so, yeah, in Josie, there was one in, in Soweto and there was one in Santon, actually. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, the, the real role was, you know, we had, like, six or seven major partners, like Coca-Cola and Visa, etc. It was actually managing them and managing their rights at these events as well as working with the event agencies to pull off the event itself. But it gave me it gave me insight. I worked with great companies. So I was suddenly working with like the top marketers at Coca-Cola, at SAB, at Budweiser actually, at Visa, at Emirates. And I and that's when I got a sense of like the the world of marketing for the first time really. Yeah. Yeah. So where did your journey take you? I mean, actually just to backtrack what does it take to work with so many different partners, so many different agencies, so many different... I always think that the collaborative process with corporates is so different from startups, mm. but like, how much more intense is it? Mm. It's really hard. So in the world of FIFA, it's incredibly structured. So the, what, what you get is a, a toolkit to manage partners in many respects because... They have paid, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to associate to an event like the World Cup, which means that everything is incredibly rigorous about what they can and can't do, how they can associate, how they can't. There's entire like there's an entire rights policing arm of FIFA that literally manages rights, you know. So in that sense, it's not that hard because everything's set in stone. Um, at the same time, they all want everyone wants a piece of the pie and a piece of the action. So it's it's a fairly political game that you're playing the whole time. I mean, yeah. sponsorships and rights management and account management is a really hard part of marketing, actually. Yeah. To do it right. Yeah. So what was your next sort of uh, path? Well, then, so then I actually got an opportunity to continue with FIFA. I would have had to have moved to Zurich to their head office, which initially, like on paper, sounds like an amazing thing, but. If you've spent any time in Switzerland, um, <laughs> anyway, Switzerland's a beautiful place. I'm a South African. I am uh, outgoing. I love people. I love like the warm South African personality and that, you know the stuff that happens on the streets. Switzerland's the opposite of that. It's like it's just super dry and people are super unfriendly. So so it wasn't where I wanted to, to live. Um, but I'd worked with all these companies and it was SAB Miller that at the end of it, I was like, wow, if I could work for anyone that I've worked with now over the World Cup period, it would be SAB Miller. Yeah. And because I'd worked with them, I had it in there and I spoke to, at that stage, the head of Castle Lager, uh, a guy called Alistair Hewitt, who's a, an amazing marketer. And, uh, and through that process, I got into that brand team. And, and then I was in full-on brand marketing for the first time, mm. you know, with the big budgets and the creative agencies. We were working with Ogilvy Joburg, one of the most awarded, you know, fabulous creative agencies. So, so I got to see, like, the nuts and bolts of, of big campaigns and big money yep. um, and big brands and, you know, very iconic brands. So I was very privileged. I always think um, alcohol brands just have the, the most insane budgets because they do the most marketing yeah it feels like i mean if you but you know it's partly down to the fact that if you put the average person on the street and give them a blind taste test so six different alcohol brands 
put them in a, and take away the brand and just put that beer inside a, a cup and get them to pick what's Castle, what's Heineken, what's Budweiser, 99% of people cannot get it right. <laughs> it's true. Like that, that golden liquid is the brand that you build around it. Yeah. And it's an emotional thing. It's not a functional thing. Yeah. And making marketing for a market like that, right? So um, alcohol brands, is that so much more harder than, say, a fintech? Especially um, because of the saturation, because of how many people yeah. are really trying to get everyone's attention. It's, you know, it's typical FMCG mass market marketing, which means you have to get your brand out there across, in this case, you know, 40, 50 million South Africans. It's by its nature very expensive. But you're right, it's extremely competitive and everyone has big budgets, um, which means that to stand out from the crowd and to not be like a... Uh, you know, everyone sort of starts to like coalesce around the same ideas and the same territories and it's really hard to like do breakthrough marketing in, the, in, in, a, in, a, in a beer environment but you do get resources are not your problem mm. which is what's great so like if you can't crack it with the kind of money that you have in the beer world then you probably you know something's wrong so, yeah. so whereas a fintech like we have ambitions that are uh, you know, up at the sky, but resources, you know, really down at the ground. So, like, we have to, the only way to break through in the fintech world is you need big ideas and you need to execute them well because we don't have the big budgets to put behind campaigns. Yeah. Uh, we can't spend our way to prosperity in our world because we're still small and, yeah. we, and we're growing fast, but, like, we don't have the big budgets to compete. Yeah. yeah. Outside of just the alcohol industry and FS, FMCG, um, what's your assessment of the South African landscape for marketing and branding right now? It's tough. It's a tough space. If you're in an agency right now, um, it's tough out there. I mean, I don't know an agency that's not retrenching and getting smaller and smaller. Uh, we've also, this environment's definitely shifted towards the in-house agency world. That is clear. And that's changed. That's happened in the last two or three years. Um, having said that, South African agencies, creative agencies, still punch above their weight on a global scale. I mean, we have, we have some of the world's best creative agencies um, because they're so good. And, you know, that kind of resource is, it's only for a few big companies that can really afford it. So unless you do have big bucks, 99% of South African uh, businesses simply can't afford a big creative agency. So you're either doing it in-house or you're hacking it as you go and you're learning yourself. And... I mean, at Joko now we have an in-house agency um, and the value of that, I think, from what I have seen, is pretty exponential. And a lot of people that are now joining Yoko have agency backgrounds because, well, because one, they want to work in an agile in-house agency environment where you're not, you're not pitching 100 ideas a year, you're literally just doing the work. Um, and at the same time, you get to work now with like some of the smartest, most creative people are inside these companies, not in agencies anymore. So it's uh, it's not it's it's not for the not for the faint-hearted, I would say. Yeah. yeah. And having seen this shift, right, of people going in-house, right, um, does it make for better output? Um, having people um, in the company that actually can put out the work at the same level as the agencies and stuff like that? I think the jury's still out um, simply because there isn't any evidence in South Africa yet that in-house creative teams are um, managing to compete with creative agencies at an award level anyway. You know, mm. that's like a new thing. Like, the agencies are still winning the awards for creative work. Um, 
Having said that, I think you get incredible bang for buck with an in-house agency. So, you know, the kind of, we don't have overheads. Like, the work that we do is not, it's, it's not, you know, this concept called non-working marketing spend. We're like, you spend 20% of your, 20, 30% of your money paying for fees, uh, whereas actually only 80% of your, 70% of your money like works in terms of getting your marketing out there. In an in-house agency environment, it's close to 90, 95%. So like everything that we're creating, you know, the world is seeing. And we're not having to, we don't have these big, you know, foundational costs to spend. So it's got pros and cons. Um, I think the time will come fairly soon where we see the first in-house creative teams genuinely winning awards as well for the creative work that they do. Yeah. yeah. So where do you draw inspiration for the sort of ways in which you think about branding and marketing? Um, yeah, so you've got to look at the best in the world and you've got to look outside your category. Like, I think a lot of marketers get stuck into like looking at their direct competitors or people that are working in the categories that their brand is in. No, the best marketing tends to happen in categories that are totally different to, your, to, to yours. And often from big global companies, like still some of the big global companies are doing some of the best marketing out there right now. But also like you've got to look at some of the smaller guys that are doing interesting stuff with smaller resources. Um, I spend, you know, I still find that some of the, the best places of inspiration are uh, Khan Advertising Awards winners. You know, there's like, there's, a, there's an amazing resource called Love the Work, uh, which is all of the work that happens at Khan, that those award-winning case studies are like, that's a great way to start. You can, you can view like a hundred case studies from all these categories and just start, you just get little ideas from mm. each case study and you go a little bit deeper to understand how they did it and what they did. I still think that there's very few original ideas out there in the world. Most, most great ideas are just executed a bit better or they've taken a new angle which has given it a little bit of freshness. So I spent a lot of my time just literally sucking in the best creative work in the world through resources that you know, some of these big awards uh, um, can do provide to you. And otherwise, it's, it's just being on the pulse, man, of like what's happening in the global marketing environment. Mm. In the South African context, it's a lot harder. Um, you know, besides like the Lurie's Award where you suddenly see everything happening at once, um, you, also have to, you also have to be the kind of person that doesn't... Um, like a lot of marketers nowadays, I think, I think like don't spend time on social media. Then they go home and they watch, watch Netflix where there's no advertising. And then they wonder why they're missing great campaigns out there. <laughs> you actually have to nowadays make the efforts to go and see what's happening yeah. and to watch it and to like really take it in and understand how people are doing interesting things. Um, so yeah, you've got, to be, you've got to be on the pulse of like social media mostly. Yeah. yeah. So how did you end up working? So, I mean, we're just going to skip forward a bit um, on your journey. Um, how did you work, end up working for a fintech startup? So I wanted to start my own business. It was an e-commerce business. I had a side hustle that I wanted to turn into my main thing. I'm trying to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, the next part of my story won't inspire you too much. I tried, <laughs> I tried that for six months and then I gave up. What was the <laughs> e-commerce startup? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll talk about it because I don't believe, I believe that the ideas are all about execution. Like, so, so this is such a simple thing, right? If you drive a car in this country and you need to buy tires for your car, mm-hmm. You have one of two models of buying tires. Tires are one of the world's most expensive commodities. And people are not brand loyal at mm. all. At all. So if you want to go buy a tire, you now have to either go and phone around 10 different tire, com- tire fitment centers and be like, hey, I, have, I drive a Hyundai, this and da-da-da, and, and like, okay, you need 16 inches. Like, 
that'll be that'll be it's fourteen thousand rand. You're like, oh my god, that sounds like a lot of money. And you phone the next person. It's like, don't worry, we'll beat his price. We'll give you ten percent off. We'll do it for thirteen thousand. You're like, wow. Well, if it's so easy to drop your price by ten percent, like, let me phone the next guy. Or you like me, and you just drive to the nearest quick fit or whatever, and you and you put your car there, and they tell you, okay, that'll be sixteen thousand rand, and you and you you know kind of choke a little bit. <laughs> Whereas overseas, they have really simple marketplaces where you go online and you tell them, this is the car that I drive, and you put your location and they say, oh, there's 20 places around you that sell cars, and everything's listed there, you can choose which, which brand you want, you can compare them to each other. So it was a tire comparison website. That sounds <laughs> I still own that, by the way, uh, but it's for sale if you want it. Um, and I realized in that journey that I was wholly unpre- unprepared to be an entrepreneur, wholly unprepared. I had no technical background. I had no engineering contacts. I didn't know where to start. I knew marketing only. I knew marketing with big agencies. And I was like, wow, now I am bootstrapping myself with no network, no ecosystem. I'm in a new city. I'd moved from Joburg to Cape Town. So... I was in a whole new ecosystem down there. Didn't know a single engineer or developer who could help me out on it. So I made a classic error and I got hold of an Aussie company that had this. And I said, I want to white label your site so you can give me, and they said, well, you can pay me a million bucks and I'll take 60% of the business. (laughs) So I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't have sent that email. So I basically then came to the conclusion that I needed to work for a startup, particularly in the tech space, so I could really learn what it was like before I felt comfortable to break away and do my own thing. Yeah. So I'm still going to watch out for Ty Compared at Coda. It's coming. It's coming at some point. Hopefully. <laughs> um, so what do you... So the interesting thing about fintechs that I find so incredible is just how differently they navigate the marketing and branding and also just the fundamental businesses um, compared to traditional banking. Right. Mm. So they usually are coming in to completely change the way things work. And that uh, sort of applies to the marketing end of things as well. Mm. Um, I've seen some really, really amazing stuff from you know, the US and from the UK. And I feel like Yoko's sort of really coming into that where the marketing is just like insane. Mm. What really um, underpins the marketing um, philosophy or branding philosophy around um, mm. being a different player yeah. in the market. There's something called intelligent naivety, which I love. And the concept of intelligent naivety is that sometimes the people that are best set up to do well are those that have no preconceived ideas about how it should be done. So if we had started the marketing journey at Yoko by looking at what the banks were doing and trying to replicate that, we would have been dead from day one. Mm. But we came in with quite a naive approach of like, hmm, no one's really putting the customer first here. No one's really telling the stories of small business. And these are incredible stories. Like, why on earth is this not being done this way? So like, because we had this naive approach to everything, it just felt like we weren't going to repeat previous errors. And, and, and there's there such an obvious gap of like, actually, the story is not about us. It's not even about our technology and what we're doing. The story is of South African small business who are tenacious, gritty, amazingly ambitious. People are doing the things, man. And they are doing it in amazing ways and no one is telling that story. So it was such a clear angle for us, which is like, we're just not going to tell the story of Yoko. We're going to tell the story of South African small business and that ecosystem and what's happening. And just shine a light on the absolute amazing stuff that's happening over there. 
And by growing and telling that story, we know that ultimately, you know, it, it can come back to, to insist Yoko in terms of the product that we offer. But it was a naive approach to the category. And, and I think that there is a lot, people underestimate. They think that, oh no, I need to understand everything about this category and this product. Like, no, sometimes it's better to not understand. Mm. Sometimes it's better to just come in there with like this blank slate because then you can find the real gold, which hasn't been uh, sort of mined. Yeah. So last year you kicked off um, the year with um, the campaign Just Start, which I feel really speaks to what you really just discussed, which is telling entrepreneur stories, but also developing really amazing experiences for entrepreneurs to learn as much as possible. Mm. Um, can you talk a bit about that campaign and just its impact as well? Yeah. I mean, so we asked thousands of people in surveys, like, what's the one thing that they would what's the one thing that they, would have, that they would tell their best friend if they wanted to start a business? And it did genuinely come back, like those two words, just start, came back. And it kind of, it encapsulates this idea of, you know, there is no time like the present, actually. It's like, starting a business is incredibly hard. It's, there are so many doubts, there's so many fears, there are so many reasons to not do it, but that's exactly why you should. And you will just learn so much. And, you know, I do love the idea of like, learn, fail, repeat as well. You know, Nick mm. Harry talks about that. Like, it's true, like, it's okay if you fail 15 times, but like, what you will learn in that process is, it'll set you up for success ultimately. Yeah. And even if in the end you decide that small business or starting and being an entrepreneur is not for you, um, whatever you've learned there is becoming incredibly important in a corporate environment too. People are starting to see the value of people that have tried and failed to start their own business because there's something about that personality which can't be taught in a classroom and it's very valuable. Like I, I will always, always, always choose someone in terms of, like if I'm going to employ someone myself who has a, a business background in terms of entrepreneurial background than someone that has a corporate background because that takes guts and it takes guts also to work in a, in a rapidly growing startup. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, sort of, you, you've gone from that campaign, and then there was a bunch of other things that happened during the year. But the second big campaign from last year is the Shop the Streets campaign. Yeah. Um, can you chat about that one? Really simple as well. Like we need to get South Africans to see the value in shopping and local and lo shopping and supporting at their local small businesses. We need to. We need to. See it. South Africans don't. It doesn't come into their frame of reference. They don't think local, they don't shop local, they understandably are often chasing discounted uh, sort of price points which is only available from like big, 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 big box style retailers. Shopping local and shopping small has an unbelievable impact on local economies. Like we, we saw stats that like six, if you spend 10 Rand at your local small business, six Rand 50 gets reinvested in that community through supplier networks, salaries and wages, the average small business, uh, relies on 30 other small businesses in their value chain. Mm -hmm. And big business doesn't, actually. And they often are, their value chains are based from outside the country, you know, there's lots of imports attached to it. One way or another, creating this movement for supporting small business is going to be a multi-year thing. It's not going to happen over here. It's going to take many, many years and many, many dollars of, of sort of broad awareness spend. But like, we do ultimately want to land this idea that shopping small is important. So that's what Shop the Streets was all about. You know, shop local, shop small, support them in the most important time of the year, which is November, December. When you look at just the, the campaigns, or when I look at them, it's just, it's always about the 
small businesses, it's always about the entrepreneurs. It's all about, the focus is on them yeah. way more than it is on um, the business or the technology or yeah. any of that. Um, what, have you, what have you seen as being the impact of having that focus on the actual entrepreneurs and small businesses and the creators and the people that are actually uh, making the economy mm. grow and build and stuff like that? Well, people connect with other people and... In the end, the best storytelling is emotional storytelling. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, an amazing, there's an amazing saying, which is like, data goes in through the heart, you know. And that's true. It's like, um, you know, it's people remember things if it hits them in the heart. And in the end, I'm a firm believer that storytelling is at, needs to be at the heart of every piece of marketing out there. Um, and therefore... It's people. People is what matters. Yeah. And how, how, how can other startups and entrepreneurs really start to apply something like that to their own businesses, especially with the limited resources they have to market yeah, their businesses? Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, I was even speaking to some, a very small startup uh, last week who, who asked me a very similar question. And I think that you know, the impact of your product or service on the people that you are selling it to is a story that almost any small business can tell and that they probably aren't telling. So like, if you see your product as just like a functional thing, that's one thing, but like the impact that that can have on the lives of your customers, you know, no matter what your product or service is, is probably a worthy story to tell. And then it's about how do you, how do you capture that? And people, people respond to visuals and people respond nowadays to video in particular, but even just beautiful visuals. And sometimes it is as easy as getting a good photographer to capture the moments of interaction between your product and your customers or telling your customers story, going a little bit deeper about how you're influencing their lives. There's a lot of gold there, which I think is missed often. And people think very one dimensionally about like, oh, well, this is a product that doesn't have, it doesn't really like, doesn't have an emotional angle to it. No, like almost every product has some emotional angle. Like you can take like what it stands for and what it does and like take it up a level to like what it's making people feel or do. So that's the link that people need to make. And I think, you know, unless you're a brand marketer at heart, some people like, don't see those links. They just see the functional stuff. But yeah, ultimately, it's about people. Yeah. So would you say that, like, especially with the tools that are available now, right? So you've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Google, and you've got all these different tools that you can use to really amplify your message and tell your story better. Where do you think people need to be focusing themselves a lot more? Hmm. That's such a hard question. I mean, um, you know, there's this thing that, you know, it, it, it's in the end, we know that social media at the moment is, is the platform that most people's eyeballs are on. Um, it's also the platform that has the lowest barriers to entry. I do think people underestimate some of that sort of fairly basic hit the street style marketing, which can be very influential. But ultimately, it's usually about word of mouth, networks, etc. Events are where you can hit people in the heart a little bit. But you know, you're going to have to become an expert on social media marketing, you're going to have to learn how to create content, you're going to have to create content that people, you know, makes people feel something to stand out from the from the absolute like disastrous mess of content which is out there right now. Um, so the skill sets you need to develop are fairly technical on the social media side and then fairly creative on the content side. And it's about experimentation. Use your data to guide you. If it's working, 
pump money behind the right things that are working. And there's also a rule that's like, post the same thing 20 times, actually. Yeah. <laughs> people, like, people get that wrong often. They're like, oh, I posted something, it didn't get any reaction, like, that's it. Like, no. Post it 20 times. Like, see what happens when you post it the 15th time at a different time of day, the different time, like, and see what happens. Like, I think a lot of people underutilize the assets which they have built. Yeah. They create stuff, if it doesn't work the first time, they walk away from it. Like, it, you should you should have a rule of constant posting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just finally, um, you mentioned events. Um, what's this amazing campaign that you're kicking off this year? This is terrible. Like, this is not an ad, but like. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's relevant for your audience. So so Definitely. we have been wanting to get into eventing for a while. We asked again. We use a lot of uh, surveys to sort of direct us. And we, we did a survey last year with Heavy Chef around what knowledge gaps do small business owners, entrepreneurs have? And the answer is they have a lot of knowledge gaps. And they don't have the right, they don't know how to get knowledge. So like a lot of people have a, have like a, a bit of a, um, they struggle to like get the right knowledge from the right people. A combination of ideas, inspiration, insights, etc. So we wanted to create a platform where you could get all of that in a day. Now it's not going to be perfect, but like, what we've done is create an event on the 14th of March in Josie, which we're calling Yoko Exchange, which is all about insight, ideas, uh, and inspiration. So we have 12 inspirational speakers on the main stage, people that have done it before, real unfiltered conversations. We have breakaway sessions where you can workshop specific things, email marketing, Instagram marketing, learning how to learn, branding and creative. Um, and then you can join your breakaway track, uh, Mash, which is the unconference track, which is really about you decide the agenda, you have the conversation, have the conversation with the people around you in the room who have done it all before. It's the opposite of a corporate suited up conference of random networking. This is more festival style, there's music all day long, you can move around between the tracks at your will on the day, you can put a set of... Um, of silent disco headphones on and listen to the various tracks if you want to sit outside and chill in the chill zone. It's going to feel different from what you'd expect. It's going to be noisy, it's going to be robust, it's going to be like lots of conversation. Um, and we're hoping to create something which is a multi-year platform which we can also roll out across the country. It's really meant to help people on their journey of growth by giving them the kind of tools that they need to go. And yeah. then all of that will be captured into an online experience that if you can't make it, we provide it to you for free anyway, is the thinking. So yeah. yeah. I, I'm super excited about this. Just I'm by the good. way, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, what does good marketing look like? Well, good marketing looks like marketing that gives you goosebumps, marketing that makes you feel something, marketing that does make you take that step as well. So, gets you off your ass. It makes you like want to go and support this company or this business or understand what they stand for. I think good marketing is also movement-related marketing where you're really like. You, are, you, as the, you as the um, as the brand are taking a back seat and allowing the people that you take on the journey with you to really become the voice of your brand as well. Um, good marketing is also just super exciting. I think you're doing amazing fucking marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. We're trying. We've got a long way to go. But yeah, look, the stories out there that have to be told are, are golden. So we just want to tell those stories. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate cool. it.
Yeah.